like a river, Lord, it, it just keeps on uh, nourishing us and refreshing us and feeding us. We thank you, Lord, that, that your love is unconditional. Lord, we are a people who love one another with conditions. But Lord, no matter how often we fail, no, no, no matter how far uh, we fall, and no matter um, how unfaithful we are to you, Lord, your love continues to be poured into our lives. And uh, Lord, we thank you and we praise you for that. And so, Lord, I pray that you would open our hearts and open our minds today, that we would receive your word, that we would not just hear it with our ears, but that our hearts would be open in such a way uh, that your love would come in and transform us and make us into the people uh, you have called us to be. Lord, help us to live as people who are Spirit-filled. Teach us about Spirit-filled living. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the sermon series is Spirit-filled living. And the plan is, is that we would go through each of the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5. So for the month of January, this is the month of love. For the fruit of the Spirit is love, is love. In February, we'll be talking about joy. For the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy. So what comes to your mind when we talk about Spirit-filled living? What comes to your mind when you hear the phrase Spirit-filled living or the phrase filled with the Spirit. Some within evangelicalism today have these ideas of, of really emotional experiences. An emotional experience in church or an emotional experience in your, in your private devotional time or your private prayer time. So we have this idea in our heads that to be filled with the Holy Spirit is to have this really amazing emotional experience with God. And then a lot of people believe that if they don't have that emotional experience, then there must be something wrong with them. But when the Apostle Paul talks about Spirit-filled living, he, he talks about something called love. The Apostle Paul, when he, when he talks about being filled with the Holy Spirit, he talks about things that are really practical for everyday life. So to be filled with the Holy Spirit is to reflect the character and the nature of Jesus in your life. Now if you have a, an emotional experience in church, or if you have some sort of an emotional experience in your pr private devotional time where you really feel God's presence, that's, that's wonderful. But don't say that you're filled with the Holy Spirit if you don't have love. Because where the Holy Spirit is indwelling, there is going to be love for God and love for one another. So love. Filled with the Holy Spirit is to be filled 
with love with one another. It's to be filled with all of the fruits of the Holy Spirit, of love, of joy, of peace, of patience, of kindness, of goodness, of faithfulness, of gentleness, and the hardest one of self-control. So love, spirit-filled living, is about having the love of Christ within us. So two, two weeks ago, Dirk talked about God's love. He talked about God's love at the fall. Genesis chapter 3. Humanity fell into sin. Humanity, Adam and Eve, they disobeyed God. They ate of the forbidden fruit. But God still loved them. God didn't forsake Adam and Eve. God actually went walking in the garden the cool of the day. He sought after Adam and Eve. And he provided the skins of animal, the shedding of blood to cover their shame. Last week, David talked about love for the unfaithful. We heard about the prophet Hosea. And how the prophet Hosea was, was called to go and to, to marry a woman of unfaithfulness. To marry a prostitute. And even after Hosea's wife, Gomer, had gone back and had cheated on Hosea, God then said to Hosea, go back and redeem her, purchase her, and bring her back to be your wife. So we learned that the first week that, that God loves us even when we fall into sin. And then last week we learned that, that God loves us even when we are unfaithful to Him. I'm glad that as a pastoral staff that we decided to talk about God's love first. About God's love for us before we talk about our call to love others. There is no way that you will ever be able to love others until you trust and receive the love, the unconditional, boundless love that God has for you. And so this is basic to the Christian message. We cannot love. We can't love each other. We can't love our neighbors until we have come to believe and to trust and to be filled with the love of God. And today we, we can't talk about the love of God and not talk about Jesus. Because Jesus is the, is the ultimate expression of God's love. Now, now God doesn't just love us. He, he is love. And so you could really say that, that love was made manifest. Love became flesh in the person of Jesus Christ. God sent His one and only Son out of uh, this, this immeasurable love for you and for all of humanity. So today we go to Luke chapter 4, verses 14 through 21. Would you please stand out of respect for the reading of God's Word today? When Jesus started His preaching and healing ministry, He went to His hometown, 
He went to his home congregation and he went there to make this big announcement. So Luke chapter 4, beginning with verse 14. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. And a report about him went out through all the surrounding country. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. And he came to Nazareth. This is where he had been brought up. And as was Jesus' custom, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. Their services were some like, uh, somewhat like our services, an opportunity to read Scripture like we're doing now. In verse 17, And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to Jesus. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Here ends the reading of our gospel lesson for today. You may be seated. When Jesus first shared that message, the people received uh, the message with gladness. But then when he began to explain it, and when he began to point out the people's sin, they didn't like to hear. They didn't like the message that he was, he was sharing. So there's two parts to this. There's this good news for us, which we've received, but many people also reject it. My prayer is, is that you would not reject this message today. You see, Jesus was handed the scroll of the prophet Isaiah, and it wasn't by chance that he was in the synagogue that day in his hometown, and that that scroll of the prophet Isaiah of this passage was handed to him. God had planned that he be handed this scroll to announce, really, the job description of the Messiah. Jesus had a job description. And the job description goes this way, to proclaim good news. That's why Jesus came. Jesus came to proclaim good news. To proclaim liberty, freedom, recovery of sight to the blind. To set at liberty the oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That's Jesus' job description. Jesus came proclaiming the good news of the gospel. And he came to do good to all who would receive him. The essence of Jesus' ministry is to bring, really, to bring liberty to humanity. To bring liberty to humanity. To liberate you. And to liberate all who are held in, in, as captives, as slaves to sin and to death. That's why Jesus came. Jesus came to bring 
liberty. This word liberty in the Greek, it could be translated uh, as being released from, from prison or captivity. But it can also be translated to be released from the guilt of sin. To be released from the guilt of your sin in such a way that you don't let that weigh you down anymore or hold you back anymore. That's the liberty that is yours in Jesus. The forgiveness of all of your sins no longer being weighed down by the weight of guilt. And we're a people who long for liberty. Now, I'm not talking about political liberty. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm proud to be an American. Or at least I know I'm free. You know, I won't forget the men who died, who gave that right to me. We know the song. So, so we're proud to be Americans, and we're proud to be, to be free. And that's wonderful, and we thank God for our national liberty. But, but let's not confuse political liber liberty with the liberty of the gospel. One of the great tragedies I think that's happening within North America now is we're meshing politics and faith. And the two are becoming muddled and confused. The liberty that Jesus is talking about goes much further, and it's much more wonderful than national liberty. It's liberty of the soul. Liberty of the heart. Liberty of our complete being. Liberty from the chains of this broken world. Liberty. And it's, it's rare for us to hear about liberty today in any sense that, that isn't political. And that's because everything in this world is reciprocal, right? Everything is in, this, in this world is reciprocal. If you do, then you get. It's a give and take thing. If you perform, then you get something in return. And uh, that's not the way God works. We don't do things for God to get something from God. We don't do for God to get forgiveness or grace or mercy. He gives His, his loving gift of His grace and of His mercy and of His forgiveness, and it's apart from anything that we do for Him. It is a true gift, a free gift of His grace. Moreover, never will this world say that if you fail or if you stink at something, then you'll get. Think about it. If you're on a sports team, to be promoted on the team, you need to perform. If you stink, you know what you'll get. You'll get cut from the team. But that's not the way that God works. That's the way the world works. But Jesus, he, he goes to the losers, and He goes to the screw-ups. He goes to the failures, 
And he says, I give my love unconditionally. I give my grace and my mercy in exchange for your failure. This is the love of God. And and Jesus called people to join Him in His ministry. When He went to call people to follow Him, if you read the Gospel accounts, you'll see that Jesus didn't go to the priesthood of Aaron. He didn't go to the local chapter of the Pharisees. He didn't go to any of the people that we would expect Him to go to and, and ask those people to follow Him. Jesus went to those that were completely and totally ordinary, even salty, down-to-earth, and also strikingly unimpressive people. Jesus went to the ordinary, and He called them to join Him in His ministry. You see, we're impressed by talent. We're impressed by performance. But Jesus says, I'm simply looking for those who are willing to say, I humble myself before you. He's looking for those with repentant hearts. And so the prophet Isaiah foretold that Jesus' ministry would be good news for those who have failed in life, for the poor, the oppressed, the captives, the blind. Many people are living today with a sense of defeat in life. Living with the sense that they have failed. Where does this feeling of defeat come from? Well, I believe it comes from the failures that we must admit or a perception of failure in life. People feel defeated in life because they fail to meet expectations. People feel defeated because they believe that they have failed at so many things. So just think of all of the expectations that are placed upon you. Expectations of society. Society has set up this list of expectations, and if we don't meet the expectations of society, then we feel that we have failed at life. The expectations of family. The expectation of friends. The expectation of your workplace. The expectation of school and of church. How many of you are willing to admit that all of these expectations, whether it's from society or family, or school, or work, or whatever it is, or even church, have at times weighed you down. That you feel you cannot measure up to what this world says is expected of you. And then I place expectations upon myself. And oftentimes those expectations that I place upon myself are completely and totally unrealistic. 
So we're weighed down, held captive to all of these expectations. And this is why the ministry of Jesus Christ is good news. Because Jesus has come to give you liberty. Liberty uh, from all of these expectations. Not to say that many of the expectations are bad. There are probably so many good expectations of us. And, and there are you know, areas of personal responsibility. But whether they're good or whether they're uh, unrealistic, they, they all have a way of weighing us down. And Jesus doesn't come with a, with a greater and a bigger and a more impressive list of expectations. He comes and He says, I'm here to give you liberty. He actually says that I come to give you rest. The quote engraved in bronze upon the Statue of Liberty. It says, give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free. The wretched refuse of your teeming shores, send these, the homeless, tempest-tossed to me. I lift my lamp beside the golden door. Who here is tired? Who's poor? Who's longing to breathe the breath of freedom? The Statue of Liberty, it's been this beacon of hope for many immigrants looking for a better life and for greater freedom. But Jesus is your hope, your ultimate hope for liberty. Again, the freedom that we find in Jesus isn't a political freedom, it's, it's freedom of the soul. Practically, how does this work out in our lives today? We're going to sing a hymn at the end of this sermon here in just a little bit. So you might be saying, Pastor, I, I feel the weight. I'm tired. I need this liberty. I need this liberty in my life. Practically, look, uh, Pastor, where do I, I find this? Well, you find it in Jesus, but how do you find it in Jesus? You find it in, in Jesus by resting at His feet. One of the great gifts of His grace is the gift of bringing everything to the Lord in prayer. And so often we carry uh, the burdens and the struggles of life, and, and we, we continue to try to carry that weight rather than just say, Lord, here I am. I lay it all before you. I give it to you. And this is the great gift that we're given in this thing called prayer. Prayer isn't about you doing a good work to earn something from Him. Prayer isn't about impressing God or impressing other people. Prayer is simply about just being real. Being real before God. And laying before Him all the stuff that is causing you to be weighed down today. The hymn, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. And there, 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 there's the answer right there. You have a friend in Jesus today. Uh, he cares about you.
He is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Uh, His friendship with you is, is beyond our ability to comprehend. So the hymn writer wrote this hymn, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. First of all, you can experience this freedom from the guilt of sin because Jesus is such a great friend to you that he went to the cross. And upon the cross, he took all of your sins. Every single sin that you committed was laid upon Jesus. And he suffered and he died so that you can be forgiven. For the Bible says that there's no forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood. He shed his blood. And his blood, through trusting in him, wipes all of your sins away. All of our sins and and griefs to bear. And then the, the hymn writer says, what a privilege to carry, to carry everything to God in prayer. Are you doing that, church? Are you carrying everything that is weighing you down to God in prayer, laying it at his feet? And then the hymn writer says, Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. Why? Because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. So we, we needlessly carry this weight when we could and when we're invited by Jesus to bring these things to him and just lay them at his feet. That's where our freedom comes from. And then the hymn writer asks the questions, have we trials? How many of you here would say, yeah, I got there's trials in my life. And temptations. How many of you here would say, I'm tempted? Have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? You know the answer to that question. There's trouble everywhere. Just look at Eastern Europe. Look at our neighborhoods. Look at our workplaces and our families. Is there trouble anywhere? Then he asks the question, or says that we should never be discouraged. Why? Because we're taking it to the Lord in prayer. And when we take it to the Lord in prayer, we know that, that the God of the universe, the creator of the universe, is more than able to employ his power in the alleviation of whatever distress or difficulty we're experiencing in life. We should never be discouraged, church. Never be discouraged. And the only way you can live without discouragement and defeat in life is to know the reality of who God is and how much He loves you. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Can we find a friend so faithful who will all our sorrows share? He shares every single one of your sorrows. And he knows your every weakness. He knows your every weakness. And the Bible promises that his strength is made evident in our weakness. So take it to the Lord in prayer. One practical point today. Pray.
pray. And prayer isn't necessarily about changing your circumstances. Prayer is about gaining a strength beyond yourself, gaining a strength beyond yourself, and sometimes you don't even know that that strength is carrying you. You don't even know that his presence is being made perfect in the difficulty, but it is. And it's not about having everything just magically go away in life. Often I'll pray for sickness to be healed. And sometimes miracles happen. We've seen that here at at Maple Park Church. Tumors literally disappear, and the doctors are dumbfounded. Other times I pray and people are not physically healed. I don't know why that is. I don't know why. But I do know that God cares. That He cares. Even if for whatever reason He allows you to walk through difficulties and hardships and pain. And I think we can learn a lesson from the early church in Jerusalem. When the early church in Jerusalem first experienced threats from the authorities, the apostles were arrested. They were actually beaten, treated terribly. They went out and preached the gospel, and what did they get? They got a beating and and a a night in prison. And so so the the followers of Jesus, the early followers of Jesus, knew that life was going to be difficult. And so what did they do? They gathered together and they prayed. But it's very interesting, if you read their prayer in Acts, the beginning of of the book of Acts, I think it's Acts chapter 4, you'll see that they did not pray for an end to their problems. They prayed rather for boldness to continue to proclaim the gospel. They lived with this realistic expectation of what lay ahead. And I think that we too ought to live with a realistic expectation of what lay ahead in our lives. That it's not all going to be easy. But that we can find a strength that comes from outside of ourselves to carry us through whatever difficulty lies ahead. The liberty that is yours in Jesus is the grace of God that sustains you through the hard stuff. God's grace sustaining you through sickness that won't go away. Stress at work that continues to increase. Conflict in your family with no sign of peace. Money problems that will only get worse. I'm not going to be that preacher that stands up here and tells you that if you have enough faith, everything will be better. The Bible doesn't teach us that. Rather, the Bible teaches that we experience difficulties, things that won't be taken away by God, but that He is a friend that loves us. And He sustains us. And He keeps us. Uh, One late night, myself and another chaplain had the privilege of helping a woman who had suddenly lost her wife to a heart attack. That night we didn't do very much of anything for her. 
Uh, When I told her that we were chaplains, she looked at me, a Christian man, with suspicion. But I just stayed with her. And I held her hand. We helped her to process the whole thing. At the end, I said, uh, you know, we're here. We can pray. Uh, Before we leave, would you like for us to pray with you? And I was expecting, like many people do, to say no. Thank you, though. She was open. And we prayed. Now, it wasn't time for her to make a massive worldview shift. It was time for her to know that she had a friend that loved her and cared about her, even though she was involved in a lifestyle that I don't agree with. She needed somebody who didn't judge her, but who loved her unconditionally. And soon after that night, she wrote a note that said, thank you for being there for me. She wrote, you made the impossible at least doable made the impossible at least doable. That's what Jesus does for us. He doesn't come to us with his word of judgment and say your lifestyle isn't lined up the way it should be here, or you're doing this and it shouldn't be that way. And but he says, I want to be your friend. I come to you as a friend. And then he begins to do that work in our hearts, right? Through the Holy Spirit transforming us, of convicting us of sin and leading us to, into a life of repentance. But Jesus is that friend who carries you through the hard stuff of life. And this is where our liberty comes from. It comes from Jesus and trusting in that unconditional, never failing love and mercy and grace and forgiveness. So life is messy, church. Life is hard. And here Jesus is in the midst of the mess, in the midst of the hard stuff. And he says to you today, I have come to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty the oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Amen. Let us pray together. Lord Jesus, we are so grateful that you are that friend that comes to us. Lord, you... You, you take us by the hand, and you, you lead us through this life. And Lord, it's not a reciprocal thing where, where we get this because we've been such wonderful and good people. It's purely and completely gift, and we thank you for that. And we thank you, Lord, that, that not only do you give us rest, but you give us your Holy Spirit, which transforms us from the inside out, so that we do begin to live a life that reflects you towards others, a life of love, a life of joy, of peace, of patience, of kindness, of goodness, of faithfulness, of gentleness, and of self-control. And so, Lord, as we're filled with your love, may we go in peace serving you, loving others, so that they too can hear of Jesus 
and receive Jesus as, the, as their Savior and receive the forgiveness of sins, the promise of everlasting life, the promise of the Holy Spirit, the promise of a friend that sticks closer than a brother. We pray that you would do these things in your power and your strength. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.